relax. First service, they were calling for the safety team. Hey. Uh, or you're thinking this story's not going to end well, right? Look, I still have all my limbs, got my digits, so this story's going to be all right. I love this thing, though. It can take an ugly shrub, and this thing can turn it into a thing of beauty. For me, there's nothing like a Saturday morning after a cup of coffee to go in the front yard, kind of look at the work that needs to be done, pull back. One of you over there understand what I, how much I like this. But to pull back, look at the shrubs, and then just go do the fine art, and then pull back when you're all done, just sit in the sidewalk, admiring it minute after minute, maybe throw up the hands and go, rawr, rawr, rawr. Okay? If you read the user's manual for this thing, it says to wear protective eyewear. It says to uh, make sure you're always stable. Never get on the top rung of a ladder. Wear gloves. And always uh, know where the cord is. Well, those are not just suggestions, let me tell you that. They are wise words. Last year, we were getting our house ready to sell, and I spent the whole day in the yard only to realize when I got to the front, I didn't take care of the shrubs. Oh, and, I, and I'm so tired. It was one of those 100-degree days. And so I just grabbed this thing. I'm moving as quickly as I can. I'm going up and down the side of the shrub. I went on the top of my railing, and I'm like this, <laughs> doing a thing. I didn't get injured there, but I come back down and kind of look at what else I need to do, and I trip over the cord. The thing stays running. I fall into the shrub. And I, all I can tell you is there was nothing beautiful that day in my front yard because I have carved a big hole into the shrub. There was blood. And, you know, I'm okay, like I said. But I did get a trip to urgent care. And I have this nice scar to remind me that this thing is a very powerful tool if it's used properly. But it also can do a lot of harm. And it's the same with what we're going to talk about today, and that is our words. Our words can do good and they can cause harm. How many of you have ever regretted saying something? that you said. I mean, yeah, right. A lot of times, this is right after you shoot that out of your mouth. I think we've all experienced that, where we have said something that has hurt somebody else. We've also experienced how our words can help somebody else. And we've, we've been on the other end, where somebody has said something that has hurt us, or perhaps has lifted us up. Um, so we understand what that's like. Your words are very powerful. One way or another, they will impact you. And they definitely will impact those that are around you. And so if you know the feeling of saying something that you shouldn't have, and you know the, po like the value of a positive word because you've received it from somebody else, and if you want to be one of those persons that says the right thing at the right time, then hopefully the next 25 minutes is going to be worth your time. As we continue in the series called The Path, but we're going to look at it from the perspective of wise words.
And we've been in Proverbs over the past two weeks. We're going to continue to be in Proverbs. Proverbs being a book of wisdom, it's got a lot of wise and concise sayings that help people live a godly life. And so we're going to look at that today. Ushers, if you'll come down, they have Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, just signal to them. They will give you one. We will have the words up on the screen, but it's always good to have a Bible or a digital Bible to be able to look at. So if you don't have a Bible, take that home with you. It's a gift from the church. Most of Proverbs was written by Solomon, the third king of Israel. So you can kind of think of Proverbs as Solomon's journal. Now, Solomon wasn't the most perfect person, you know, to live. He wasn't the smartest person to live, but he was the wisest person. And he was asked by God, what would you like? And he said, I would like wisdom. He didn't say, I'd like all the knowledge in the world, because there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is good. Knowledge is about acquiring information and facts, but they are useless if you do not apply those, the information and the facts that you're learning. And that's what wisdom is all about. Wisdom is about applying the information and the facts to life. And Solomon asked for wisdom. God granted the wisdom. And Solomon wrote the wisdom down in Proverbs for us to read and to grow in our wisdom. Some of you have already been growing in your wisdom by accepting that invite to do the, uh, what we're calling 31 days of wisdom. It is not too late to sign up for that. I said this last service and I saw some people sign up. So that's really good. It is not too late. Here's what we're doing. Each day you read a book of Proverbs, uh, read a chapter of Proverbs. And as you're reading, you're asking God to help you understand which one of those verses is really speaking to you today. And then you go ahead either through our Facebook group called 31 Days of Wisdom at Durant and post on there. Some groups are doing group me, others are texting. But to share what the verse is, what it says, kind of information, not the application, information, and then you know, a little write-up about how it applies to you. Uh, so lots of people have been doing that. It's not too late. Just today, just go to chapter 14. That's where we are. It doesn't matter that you've missed the past few days. Come in, join us, uh, day 14, chapter 14. And as I said, today is about words, wise words, because knowing what to say, when to say it in any given situation, it's a universal challenge. We all struggle with this, and the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about our words and our language. So let's jump right in. Proverbs 18, 21 says this, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. This verse to me seems really clear cut, straightforward. I mean, it really uh, puts that out there. When I read it, I see, I see the opportunity in it. But I also feel this weight of responsibility with this verse. And I think the message translation does a real good job at trying to convey what, what God intended here. It reads like this. Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. When God designed us with the ability to communicate, 
He gave us a really powerful tool. Our words can bring life. They can encourage somebody. They can build them up. They can comfort somebody. But they can also be harmful. They can be what we call death words because they can divide. They can discourage. In essence, our words have direction, don't they? There's a trajectory about our words. One of two paths, and this kind of connects to what we kind of laid down as a foundation the first two weeks. There is the wise path and the foolish path. And when we look at this verse, there's this idea again that the wise words are ones that give life. There's not three or four other paths. There's the wise words and then those that lead to death, the foolish words. And the heavy part about all of this, when you read it, is I choose which one it's going to be. I'm the one aiming and firing words. They are going to do something. Our words are going to do one of two things, bring life or death. Dr. Uh, John Gottman, a lot of you may know him from his research on marital stability and prediction of divorce. One of his um, pieces of work has been dubbed the magic ratio. And what he did and his colleagues, they took 700 newlyweds and they uh, observed them for, 15, for a 15-minute conversation. And they recorded the number of positive interactions and the number of negative interactions. And then they predicted whether that marriage would succeed or not from that 15-minute conversation. And with 94% accuracy, 10 years later, they went back and there was 94% accuracy with what they had. And you're all wondering, well, what's the ratio? I've got a pen. I'll write this thing down. It was five to one. Five positive to one negative. And what Proverbs is saying here is your words will do something. They will do one thing or the other. And so I was thinking, as I was preparing this week, how do I, how do I convey this idea of words of life and words of death? I mean, I could pull some famous speeches from some famous people. I could show some videos. Um, but then it dawned on me that as a speaker, it is so important to connect with your audience. And so I figured there'd be no better way to do that than social media. All right, so what we're going to do, I have some of your social media posts. I have your Vines and mine, Vines and Twitter feeds and Instagrams. And we're going to put those up there today. It is dead quiet in here. <laughs> Listen, we don't, we don't have to do that. You can breathe. The Bible is filled with examples of what is um, a right word at the right time that gives life. And so we're just going to look at some of those this morning. We're not going to get to all the different areas. As you're reading through this month in Proverbs, you're going to see all the other areas, you're going to see a comprehensive listing of all the verses that uh, talk within these areas. One thing I do ask you, though, is stay focused. I need you to stay focused on you. 
we're going to start off by looking at words of death. What are those like? And it's so easy when you hear that, you go, I know somebody that has the spiritual gift of words of death. They need to hear this talk. Stay, stay focused on your words as we uh, look at this. First area we're going to look at as far as words of death is gossip. Here's uh, just one verse on that. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. Gossip separates. And some people will always ask the question, well, how do I know that I'm gossiping? Here's an easy way. Ask yourself, would you say that in the tone that you said it to that person if they were right here with you? If you probably wouldn't, then it's probably gossip. But the truth about gossip, it doesn't matter whether it is right or wrong. That's kind of secondary. It is the path that gossip will lead you to. And it's, it's a path of death. Gossip separates. It destroys. Gossip's like stoking a fire. As long as the chatter is going on and there are little ears to listen, it's just stoking the fire. It's like throwing oxygen or gasoline onto a fire. It keeps going. But when the words stop, the fire goes out. But then you have to look back and look at all the destruction that happened with that fire. We see this all too often. I mean, kids see it in schools. All of a sudden, somebody will say, hey, did you hear about this so-and-so and and the boyfriend and girlfriend? Did you hear what what was happening between them? Did you hear they're struggling in school? Did you hear this person, uh, you know, drank? And they don't know if it's true or not, but they're sharing the details with everybody. The end result of that is relationships, friendships get strained if not broken. Adults gossip too. We just spend a lot of time at work. And there was a research, uh, an article that I read that did some research on workplace gossip. We spent a lot of time there. So they uh, did some research. They found out that 26% of the workforce gossips. 86% of those people, 86% of the sessions are about gossip within the workplace. And each session lasts for about 15 minutes. Do the math, and they total about 65 hours a year a person spends gossiping. And then they did the research on that, research on that to say, it's hurting people in my organization, it's not causing unity, and we're not getting done what we're supposed to get done. Gossip destroys. It's a path towards destruction. And by the way, Christ followers can be real good at uh, disguising gossip as holy. John, did you hear about Christopher? I think we ought to pray for Christopher. Really? What's going on? Oh, you didn't hear. Well, this and this and this. And then all of a sudden it goes from one person to the other person and it spreads. And again, relationships are strained or broken. This proverb is telling us that our words have 
direction. And the direction of words of gossip is on the path of death. Nobody ever starts out going, you know what? I want to completely destroy the organization that I'm associated with. Or I want to um, lose the friend that I have or the friends that I have. But as soon as the gossip starts, then what happens is friendships are destroyed, organizations fizzle, and churches die. Our words are powerful. Let's look at another uh, area, and that is lying. Lying words. Do you remember when you were little and you had one of those really talkative days and there was an adult around you? My kids and my wife and kids tell me I have not grown out of this, the talkative thing. But think back to when you were a kid. Do you remember when you were real talkative and there was an adult around that said, you know, Rob, you only get 10,000 words per month. And when you hit the limit, you cannot physically speak until the next month. And you're approaching 9,000, so you better be careful. You've heard very, conversations like that. Well, that's not the lie we're gonna talk about, the kind of lying we're gonna talk about. That keeps adults sane. <laughs> but I will tell you that the proverb we're gonna look at proves to be true, especially with that. Let's look at Proverbs 12, verse 19. Truthful words stand the test of time, but lies are soon exposed. Have you ever been lied to? Lied to by somebody that's close to you? What does it do? It breaks trust. It doesn't build up a relationship. It tears it down. It breaks it down. I think every one of us in here would agree, lying's a bad thing. And if you read in Proverbs and other places in Scripture, like go, uh, in Proverbs specifically, Chapter 16, verse 6, it's God hates lies. Not only do we hate lying, God hates lies. Why? Because God is truth. And so if we as Christ followers are his image bearers, then what does it say to the world if we are lying? What kind of image do we bear to the world about the God that we say we love and serve? They definitely see us as hypocrites. And if you look at this verse, if you're in the throes of a lie yourself, or you're thinking about lying, understand that you will be found out. It is not a matter of, I wonder if I will. The lie will be exposed because truth always prevails. And God is truth. The struggle with that is we always want it in our timing, right? But lying destroys people around us, but it also affects the one who is lying because when they are exposed, and they will be exposed, we'll have to deal with the consequences of lying. The last area I want to look at is that of abrasive words. And I think uh, this saying is a good recommendation as far as abrasive words. Uh, keep your words short and sweet because you never know when you're going to have to eat them, right? That really just speaks about me and, you know, maybe having them turned on me. Let's see what God has to say about abrasive words. Some people make cutting remarks, 
but the words of the wise bring healing. Some people make cutting remarks. Our blunt words cut people. They hurt people. They bloody people. They are sharp. You can see this with any organization, any gathering of people. I just chose to look at like team sports. This is just an example where this plays out, but you can see it in your workplace as well or at home. But if you've ever been around a team and you, you hear these words, Johnny, you should have had that, that, that catch. You're the worst on the team. If you weren't here, we'd be in a much different standings, a different place in the standings. I can't stand you. I guarantee you that that kind of team will not, will not be champions. They will not be healthy and successful. Why? Because injured people move away from the one that are injuring them. They should. They'll move away, and that team will never have unity in accomplishing the mission. Abrasive words, they destroy a person. And we only looked at a few of the words here that lead down the path of death. And I kind of want to switch gears. You, as you read, you're going to see words uh, in Proverbs. You can look at profanity. You can look at criticism, complaining. And we just picked a few areas here. But I want to flip to words of life because it's completely different with the words of life. We read, wise words are like deep waters. Wisdom flows from the wise like a bubbling brook. And I really want you to grasp what got translated here, bubbling brook and deep waters. The original word really got at something much deeper. Like think of a fountain or a spring that is a forever source of water. Think of that. Or if you've been up the road to Lake Gaston, that is fed by Car Lake, which is fed by the Roanoke River, which starts out in the Blue Ridge Mountains and goes through the mountains of Carolina, North Carolina, through to the lakes, out to the Outer Banks. That river constantly flows millions of gallons, and along the way, it provides life and beauty that's used to drink water and keep life going. That's the kind, wise words, that's what they do. They flow like that. And if we are growing in wisdom, then what ought to come out of us should be wise words like that, bringing life to those around us. Because here's what's true. Everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It is wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. Isn't that true? I mean, on both ends, to be able to say the right thing at the right time, but also to receive the right thing at the right time. And when you read in Proverbs, you hear what those words do. Sweetness to the soul. They feed many. They bring health to the bones. They make hearts glad. I want to talk like that. I want to be able to say words like that, don't you? The question is, how do we do that? What are some methods? What are some techniques? And I could spend the remaining minutes that I have 
today talking about some very biblical techniques, but I have something more important to share that's kind of foundational before you get to the technique. But I will say this before moving there, that if I were to say one thing about how to say the right thing, then I would tell you this, be truthful and honest. Why? Because when you speak the truth, you give the person reality. You help them deal with reality. And true friends help people see reality. So be truthful in your words that encourage. Be truthful in your words and loving in your words when you need to challenge somebody. As far as at the right time, what would I say there? One piece of advice, I'd go to what James says in the New Testament, chapter one. Be quick to listen and very slow to speak. Make it your goal to understand the other person. What are they going through? What's their story? Because if this thing's moving, you're not gonna be able to pick up on that. So be slow to speak and quick to listen. But being able to speak the right thing at the right time is more than counting to 10. It's much more than that. It, in order to move from positive or from negative to positive, in order to move from unwise to wise words, we have to get at the source of our words. Here's what Proverbs says about that. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Our words, they really are more than how we control our lips. Our words aren't manufactured right here at all. We could hone techniques, you know, our technique, but in the end, what we could be doing is just giving you a bigger weapon to do some, even more damage. It doesn't address the heart, the source of the problem. Here's what Jesus said on this topic. A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What, what you say flows from what is in your heart. And I would paraphrase it today, out of the overflow of the heart, your hands tweet. Out of the overflow of your heart, your hands tweet. Our words reveal what's going on inside of us. If you are struggling with your words, it's probably not that you're a bad communicator. You probably are a very good communicator, but there's wrong going on inside of you that has to be addressed to get to the source. I was talking to a friend about a month, and a, a month or so back. They had built this new house in a beautiful uh, pond, lake, with beautiful views. And the first week that they were in there, they heard some gurgling from downstairs. And they went into the bathroom there only to see this brown, dirty water coming up through the shower. And so they quickly went to the drain and kind of cleared it, thinking maybe something was there holding back. Nothing. They went down and kind of feeled around to see if there was blockage, put a snake down there. Nothing. Some water keeps coming up, moving towards the family room. They called the uh, contractor who put in the septic system, and they said, go check the fuse box. 
So he goes and checks the fuse box. Ah, the breaker was flipped. Flip it on, solves the problem. Water kept backing up. Went into the family room. It wasn't that. Long story short, they had to go and dig down and they found that the pump was never hooked up to the electrical system. You see, the problem had nothing to do with the visible part. It wasn't the drain, it wasn't the pipe, it wasn't the elect. It was much further and deeper away. Jesus' words imply here that better communication is not going to solve our problem. It also implies that I can't say, because you said that, you made me do that. You made me say that. No, you could have had an impact on me, but you didn't make me say that. That's the implication of Jesus. We own our response. Others don't make us do things. And our response reveals what's going on in our heart. Because who or what is going on here with my heart, what fills my heart, leads my life. What's leading my heart? God said through the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel this, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. This promise by God to restore Israel, both physically and spiritually, it was fulfilled. But for us who are sitting here under the new covenant, it was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And no matter where you are and how unpure, impure life that you've lived, God offers you a fresh start. He offers you his heart, a new heart, and his spirit to give you the strength to be able to step into his ways and to speak his words. The question is, do you have the heart of Christ that he offers? There's, there should be no guessing on that. If you don't know if you have a relationship with Christ every week, that's why we say come down and talk. We would love to talk to you. Don't go and leave today and wonder about that. Come talk to somebody. But here's the deal. Even with the heart of Christ, it still takes us agreeing with God and acting on what he is saying. Because our words are so powerful. Our words kill. Our words can bring life. They're either poison or fruit. I choose. You choose. God defines what a helpful word looks like in his, in his word. We've seen that in Proverbs. Helps us understand that. Jesus reminded us that if we don't deal with the, the heart issue... It's not going to solve our problem. But when we get to the root of the problem, then his words become our words as we yield to him. And the direction of those words that are flowing and bubbling out through us, what direction are they in? Life-giving. That's the kind of words. Imagine if our words were full of life. Imagine if our words were like giving vitamins to somebody who's malnourished. What if our words are like giving fruit to somebody who is, is starving, they're hungry? 
What would our marriages look like? What would our homes look like? What would our organizations look like? What would our neighborhoods look like if we spoke words of life? What would it look like if we asked questions of God before ever opening this thing and saying, God, what do you want to do in me first before I go and approach somebody else? Because even before you say it, I want to let you know I agree with you because I want to speak life into those around me. And then praying, God, what do they need? What does this person need? What's the circumstance they're in? And how can I give them something that's beneficial? I guarantee you that if we did that, marriages would be restored, families would be tighter, Neighborhoods would be more vibrant. I believe organizations and businesses would be more successful. I believe our relationship with God would feel that much richer and not lonely. And most of all, and most importantly, I believe those around us would start to be drawn to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the gift of communication. And I believe everyone in here would like to be breathing words of life and so we pray uh, for your discernment to be able to deliver such words. And may you see, receive glory through that. And it's in your son's name I pray. Amen.